So Facebook and Instagram claim that over 600 million people have used their beautifiers. Uh, Girls say that the Instagram face is a small nose with big eyes, uh, clear skin, and big lips. Probably kind of like that picture behind me. Now, uh, you and I know that these filters can be used with a little humor and good fun, right? I mean, I could have put myself on one of those filters and contorted my face and you would have a good laugh, right? But Krista Crotty, a specialist in eating disorders and mental health, sees that the sense of anxiety develops when girls live with the incongruity of their online and in-person selves. And so the article talks about the concerns they have about such apps. But I'm not really here to talk about that so much. But did you know that God is deeply concerned about your beauty? God is concerned about your beauty. But it's a beauty of a different kind. It's a beauty that's more than skin deep. In 1 Peter, we've been talking about living as exiles in the world, but having different values in the world. And the Bible uses another word for beauty, and it's the word holiness, meaning to be set apart. So 1 Peter 1.16 says, be holy because I am holy. One unique paraphrase in this passage, on this passage, expresses holiness this way. Distinguish yourselves as reputable and honorable people because I am completely distinct and honorable. I like that. We must be distinct. Because Christians find their identity in Jesus, we are to become like him. Or you could say, be beautiful because God is beautiful. Take on the beauty of God himself. A couple chapters further in 1 Peter, he goes on to say, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be of that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's eyes. For this is the way the holy women of the past put their hope in God and used to make themselves beautiful. Now, this is a really profound passage. And we're going to hit it again once we get to chapter 3. But Paul's addressing the issue of what beautiful meant in this shame and honor culture. A lot of Asian cultures, certainly back then, had this way of thinking. So he is saying the world's estimation of beauty or of true honor and true shame is not accurate. Don't go by it, he says. In the ancient world, Roman world, women were pressured to be like the beautiful women of the day, which included high-end products right, for your body. And because he mentions expensive objects, 
there was probably a status attached to it. Associated to one's wealth and status. And so in some ways, nothing has changed. Similarly today, people want to fit in or be liked. It's just that we have this social media layer on top of it, right? But many are left disappointed because they cannot live up to the success and beauty standards that they see on social media. And so this incredible tension exists. But God wants us to focus on a different kind of beauty. Not a beauty judged by the world, but the beauty of an interior life, that a heart that is shaped by God. Now, this passage addresses uh, women, but of course we all know that holiness is something that God calls all of us to be. It is about living our lives according to God's meaning of beauty, a transformation of our character from the inside out. And so we are called to be his beautiful exiles. Even though you don't always fit in, but we're supposed to be beautiful exiles. Not grumpy exiles, not mad exiles, but beautiful exiles. So turn your Bibles if you want to. Uh, this is chapter 1, and we're basically going to focus on 13 to 19. And let's discover what it means to be beautiful exiles. We become beautiful exiles when we set our hope on future grace. Now, in verses 10 to 12... Um, Peter has been talking about the wonder of our salvation. I didn't read those verses, but this is what he talks about. And he talks about the salvation that was so great that even the angels longed to see into these things, if you remember that passage. Now, Peter described this salvation in verse 10 as a grace that was to come to you. This grace came to us through Jesus Christ. Then, as we pick up in verse 13, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. And this is where I want you to focus. Set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So Peter has, in a sense, shifted gears here. From first grace to second grace. First grace... Jesus' first coming to future grace. Future grace is about when Jesus comes again, his second coming. Now, most of the time when we talk about grace, we're referring to something in the past, what Jesus did for us in the past through God's unmerited favor. But Peter is now teaching us to live in light of eternity and future grace. So this reminds me of the difference between using Google Maps and, for those who remember, paper unfolding maps. Remember those cool maps? Right? Google Maps, I find, it focuses on where you are in the present, right? This little, what is it, a little triangle in my car? That's where you are, right? But my frustration with Google Maps 
is that it never gives you the big picture unless you do fancy things with it, right? And I find it frustrating. In the paper mat day, I could open up the mat, lay it on the kitchen table, and I show my children, this is where we are, and this is where we're going to go, right? You could visualize, you had the big picture, you saw where you were going. I gave them the big picture, and it wasn't just this Google snapshot of the moment. So what does this mean to live as beautiful exiles? What does it mean to live according to future grace? Well, it's seeing the larger picture. It's seeing where you're going. How we live in the world that wants beauty is that they want beauty right now. It's focused on the present. Instant gratification. The world doesn't think about eternity. It simply listens to their own passions, present passions, peer pressure, the culture, and it settles for beauty that is simply skin deep. There is no thought about eternity. There's no thought about consequences. Zero. Ungodly people are impatient people. Ungodly people are nearsighted. They only see the spot, the present. But God's beauty, God's holiness, doesn't focus on temporary things. It sets our minds on future grace. Sets our mind on the future hope of the revealing of Jesus Christ when he comes again. Set your mind, as Paul says in Colossians, on things above, not on earthly things. Godly people, on the other hand, are far-sighted. They're far-sighted. Godly people are patient people. They long for the coming of Jesus when they receive the fullness of grace in every way. Now, future grace, with future, future grace in mind, to be beautiful, God's people must clear the clutter of their minds. So I'm going back to the top of verse 13. It says, prepare your minds for action. Or the NIV says, with minds that are alert. Now most translations have lost the imagery contained in this phrase because it's a complete image. Literally in Greek it says, gird the loins of your mind, which today we go, Huh? <laughs> so you understand why we have different translations. To me, it sounds like, you know, sirloin steak and, you know, something like that. But it's actually kind of related, right? Because what is, what is the loin part of your body? It's kind of like your core, right? Bottom of your spine, kind of between your hips. It's the core. In ancient days, men wore outer garments and it came past, way past their knees. But if they wanted to go to work, they would have to bring up their garment and tuck it in, right? Tuck it in behind them so that their legs could work freely. So this is the image that Peter is giving us, right? So gather up everything that clutters the mind just as a person would gather up his clothing 
and lift it up behind him and maybe tie it back so that they're free to, to run and work. Maybe today you could say, you know, take off your warm-up suit, right? Jocks out there, take off your warm-up suit. Strip it all off and go running or play football, right? You're going to be free to play the game. But of course it means remove the clutter of your minds that stands in the way of victory and Christ-likeness. Free your minds from the temporary and shallow values of the world. Instead, set your mind on eternal things, the hope of God's future grace. You know, if you're struggling to grow in holiness and Christian character, there is probably a good chance that there is useless clutter in the way. Maybe worldly values, maybe a poor attitude that's blocking your way forward. So, clearing your mind is bringing that junk before the Lord. And sometimes we're unaware. So I would suggest to you, Jesus is the great revealer of souls. The Holy Spirit is a great revealer of our souls. And so bring it before him, right? And whatever he reveals to you, um, learn to confess these things. Learn to repent of these things. But most of all, turn to Jesus. Turn to him for strength and wisdom and help. And he will bless you. It also says, be self-controlled with minds that are alert and fully sober, or be self-controlled. Now, being sober, as it is used in some translation, is another picture word, right? Being sober, of course, is drawn from the life of drunkenness. And so the opposite of being sober is being drunk and about weekend parties. And so... Just like back then, everyone understands this language. When someone is drunk, they have absolutely no control over their body. But if we are to be beautiful exiles in this world for Jesus, we can't be drunk on the values and shallow pleasures of our culture. Living our life for pleasures inhibits any kind of spiritual growth in us. As Jesus says, you can't serve God and money. You can't have two gods at the same time. Be self-controlled. Instead, number two, God's children are called to a life of obedience and God's beauty. I'll read verses 4 to 16. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, But just as he who called you to be holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. I'm not sure what kind of feelings you have when you hear the word holiness, but sometimes when we think of holiness, we think it, you know, that it's kind of like putting on an oppressive straitjacket just to stay out of trouble. Holiness is not putting burdens on yourself. Uh, That's pharisaical thinking. It's about freeing yourself from temptations and false values and temporary solutions that weigh us down. Then it's about trusting in God's grace and power 
to transform us because it's about this relationship that we've made with God. And we say, yes, Lord, I want to be like you. Will you change my heart? And so being holy as God is holy means wrapping ourselves up in the identity of Jesus rather than wrapping ourselves in the empty identities of the culture. So becoming like Christ in character is of far greater value than the approval of our culture. Being beautiful in God's sight lasts forever when future grace is revealed in Jesus. Now Paul addresses us as, or Peter addresses us as obedient children. And as soon as you hear that word children, you're talking about this father-child relationship that we have, right? And so he's talking about a brand new family identity. Because of God's grace, we're his children, born into God's family, and God is our heavenly father. I mean, praise God, what a, what a privileged relationship that we have with him. This is why we are called obedient children. You could say we belong to a brand new team, a brand new identity, and now because of that new identity, we're now called to live according to that identity. We're part of this brand new team. Um, Several years ago, New York Yankees made an unusual trade, and they got an all-star batter by the name of Johnny Damon from the Boston Red Sox for baseball buffs. You might remember this. But joining the Yankees would prove to be a challenge for Johnny Damon. And he came from the Boston Red Sox. And the Boston Red Sox are kind of known to be this blue-collar, lunch-bucket types. And many of the Red Sox players, including Johnny Damon, had long hair and a scruffy beard and a big fat mustache. Right? That was the image of the Red Sox. They were just kind of this blue-collar team. But the Yankees' image is, of course... White collar, pinstripes. And every athlete is expected to cut their hair at the appropriate length and trim their beard. And as soon as Johnny Damon joined the Yankees, everyone was shocked because there was a new Johnny Damon because he came out, his hair was cut right back, and he was trimmed right down. The facial hair was gone. Why? Because he came in, became a New York Yankee. So in a similar way, and you do not have to shave, by the way, right? We become children of God. You join a new team, and you're destined for a new home in heaven, and our lives must now conform to our new identity. We change according to the team we associate with. Our lives are not simply about avoiding sin. It's better than that. It's positively striving and pursuing and obeying and growing in God's beautiful character and holiness. And we chase after it. Why? Because God is our Father and we belong to His beautiful family. This is how His children act and behave. We're obedient children. Thirdly, beautiful exiles always live in reverent fear of God. Now, Peter wants to balance the argument 
So notice the shift here. You're children of God, but it doesn't mean we should take advantage of your position. Just because you're a child doesn't mean you can live the way you want to. Because we have to live according to the identity of the team. You might come or you might be born through the Holy Spirit into a whole new family and your privilege all by God's grace. But Peter reminds us, yes, it's true. God is your father. You're a child of him. But we still must live in reverent fear of God. Interesting. And he gives us several reasons. First of all, God is our judge who judges without favoritism. Verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers or exiles... Here in reverent fear. So when Jesus returns to establish the new heavens and the new earth, which is going to be a glorious day, by the way, the Bible talks about this day of judgment. And he will judge each person's work while we are, we are how we lived our life while we were on this earth. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Uh, Peter talks about this as well, 1 Peter 4.5. He speaks of God who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The point is, as exiles, we shouldn't fear the world and its judgments, and its criticisms because of your faith in Jesus, because we don't belong to this world. Rather, have reverent fear of God's just and fair judgment when he returns. That's what matters to us. His judgments on our work, including your motives and your attitudes while on earth, we should not trifle with because we will be hold account, held accountable. So again, God is deeply loving. But this doesn't mean we can live the way we want, taking advantage of his love and grace. And of course he forgives, right? But there's this counterbalance. There are sacred boundaries that we must honor because we love him. In the end, God, our Father, as judge, will be fair and just. We have to understand that. He is fair and he's just. And he will hold us accountable for the way we lived, and he will reward and honor us accordingly. Can you picture that? The day of reward? You know, any reward that you received in this present world from the day you were three till now is going to feel like chump change compared to the rewards in heaven. Right? 
We get excited for this moment, right? We don't talk about rewards very much because we think it's kind of wrapped up into works. This is not about salvation. This is about a award for your faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And so we need to take this very seriously as obedient children. Now, to fear God is neither dread or anxiety. Okay? It's neither fear or anxiety. Rather, it is a healthy and mature response of a person who wants to please God. They have joy in pleasing God. And they know that when Jesus comes again, when they have pleased God, God will honor them. God will honor you. And so we need to look forward to that day. So beautiful people, godly people, we actually look forward to the judgment of God who loves to bless his children. It's going to be a beautiful day. Finally, we revere God because our redemption in Christ is far more valuable than silver and gold. Verse 18 to 19. For you know that it is with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the... um, that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So here we are again about what is truly valuable, what is truly beautiful. So our reverence for God is not based on coming judgment, but further back to the wonder of God and what he's done for us. So we dare not take our redemption from sin through Jesus for granted. Peter says, before Christ, our lives were empty. We have to understand that. We were truly empty before Jesus. We were completely lost. You know, when ancient slaves were redeemed, and they used that same language, they were purchased with gold and silver. That's probably where the imagery or the language is used here. But he's saying this is a whole new level of redemption, far more worth, worthy than silver and gold. Rather, this, you have been purchased with a precious, priceless, flawless blood of Jesus Christ. Which is a reference, of course, to his death. Who was perfect in every way, and he saved you from your formerly empty way of life. So on the basis of our salvation in Jesus the back end, and future grace, the future, right? The big picture. God calls you to become beautiful exiles. He's got it all covered, right? He got your salvation covered. He's got eternity covered. He says, walk with me, beautiful exiles. Trust me to the end. Don't be concerned 
about trying to find acceptability in your culture because there is something far more worthy in eternity that waits for you than the rewards of this world. He gave you his life and he's coming back. He's coming back once more. And so the strong appeal and calling is be beautiful because God is beautiful. Be beautiful because God has been beautiful to you. And it behooves us not to be beautiful like Jesus is and what he was for us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, how can we not say thank you? How can we not give praise to you? And this is what Peter says. Praise be to God for who we are and what he's done. You've redeemed us, not through silver and gold, but through the giving of your own life, the blood that was shed more precious than absolutely anything. And Lord, you redeemed us from a world that has its different value system of what is really worthy and beautiful. Instead, may our lives be an emulation of Jesus. May our lives be filled with your Holy Spirit, living according to the rhythms of your grace each and every day as we depend upon you, Lord. Uh, Lord, maybe you've spoken to one or two souls this morning. And I, help, I pray that you'll help them, give them the courage to make those changes in their own hearts. Give them the courage to remove the clutter and turn to you. To remove the loins of our mind so that we can be free sailing and serve you with joy and with love. And so continue to teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's prepare our hearts for communion. I'm just going to ask the worship team to come, and they're just going to...